Well, good morning, Mission View. Aren't you thankful that we're alive in Christ? Aren't you thankful that we're no longer under condemnation, that we have the righteousness of Christ in us, that there is great joy and there is great peace and there's purpose in our life? Let's give him praise for that this morning. You know, we are to be uh, one of the happiest, uh, joyful uh, people around that we show our light. We are salt and light to a darkened world. And uh, I remember a pastor years ago saying, if you're happy and you know it, tell your face. Uh, because there's a lot of us that are like, yes, I'm a believer in Christ. And uh, there's no joy and there's no peace. And if you know Christ is your Savior, there is so much to rejoice about today. And so we're so glad that you're here. And uh, meet me, if you would, in Acts chapter 4 as we continue our summer series on Overflow, a Generous Heart. Acts chapter 4. So I found myself this week, as you're turning there, I found myself this week trying to look through the lens of generosity as I was dealing with people. If we're going to do a series on generosity, I want to do more than just preach it, and I want to do more than you just hear it, but uh, part of being obedient to God's Word is living that out. So uh, this past week, I was looking through the lens of generosity in what I can do and what I can say to just, uh, for no other reason, just because God has been generous to me, I want to be generous to others. And so early this past week, uh, early in the morning, I went into Sheets to grab a coffee, and when I walked in, I saw a sheriff standing there. And I knew it was a sheriff because it said sheriff on his shirt, and uh, he was looking at donuts, so I knew that's a dead giveaway. And uh, so uh, I didn't think much about it, but he was holding one of those made-to-order type tickets. So he had gone over and placed his order, and he had gotten a ticket, and I grabbed my coffee. He's looking around, and I go and get in line, and he gets right behind me. And have you ever had those opportunities where you just think, you know what, here's an opportunity, Craig. Here's an opportunity to show generosity to the sheriff. And so uh, it just got louder and louder and louder. The conviction did. And I just turned around and I grabbed it. It was right out of his hands. I just grabbed it and I go, I got this. And he goes, you do? And I said, yeah. I said, thank you so much for your service. Thank you for protecting us for all that you do. I said, I really appreciate it. I said, I got this. And he goes, you, you didn't need to pay for it. And I wanted it so bad to say, well, I'm, I, I wasn't planning on paying for it. I just want to see how much it was. Uh, but, but I said, no, I, I've got this. I had no skin in the game at all. I, I, I had nothing to gain. It wasn't like I said, by the way, I've got some parking tickets here. Could, could you take care of those? Nothing. I just wanted to be generous. Last week we said a genuine heart is the fullest expression of genuine love. And something happens to us and something happens to others when we say, you know what, enough of being greedy, enough of just selfishness, uh, enough of, of just the ugliness of all about me, I'm just going to try to start being generous. And the Lord begins to do a work in our life. I know we've prayed already, but let's just make sure. We're going to go to a time of prayer. Just make sure that we would say, Lord, would you allow me to be generous this next week? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have been incredibly generous to us. You have given us your son. Your son has gone to the cross. Your son rose from the dead so that we could have eternal life. 
Uh, your Holy Spirit has given us gifts so that we can use for the betterment of the body. You have placed a roof over our head. You've given many of us a, a job. We have kids. We have opportunities. We have probably money in our wallet. You have done so much in our lives. And yet for many of us, we walk around closed fist. And so, Lord, would you just open up those hands a little bit? Would you open up those fists so that it would be open-handed palms up that we would say, Lord, I want to show generosity for no other reason but because you have shown it to me. And so, Lord, we pray this morning as we open up in, in Acts 4 here that you wouldn't just capture our attention, but, Lord, you would capture our heart, that we would be different, that we wouldn't just check off another message, another sermon, and another Sunday. But Lord, when we get in our car and we drive away, that you've impacted our heart and we look for opportunities to be generous. We thank you. Open up our eyes this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. He's often referred to as the man in black. I'm referring to who? Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash at one time was America's country music legend. He sang some powerful and heartfelt songs. Uh, one of the lyrics in his song, I Walk the Line, says, I admit I'm a fool for you because you're mine, I walk the line. Another song that he sang on his album, The Man in Black, I wear black for those who never read or listen to the words that Jesus said about the road to happiness through love and charity. Johnny Cash in his song, Love is the Way, said, love, or, Life is the question, and life is the answer, and God is the reason, and love is the way. There were other times when Johnny Cash's songs were kind of abrasive and rough. When one of his songs in Folsom Prison Blues, he said, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Interesting thing about Johnny Cash, when Johnny Cash died in 2003, he left $100 million behind. And he never even realized that his inheritance would create a, a bombshell of, of just conflict and greediness and ugliness amongst his families with his four daughters and his one son. Uh, Johnny Cash was married previously and had four daughters. Then he married June Carter Cash, and they had a son together, John Carter Cash. They were married for 35 years. When Johnny Cash died, he left in his will $1 million to each one of his daughters. And yet he gave his son nearly $94 million. Would you have a problem with that? I think some of us would say, no, uh, give me the million. I'm happy with that. $94 million. The daughters vowed to fight John in order to get more money no matter how ugly it got. I think all of us would agree that money can bring out the best in us. It, it really can. It can bring out the best in us. There's things that we've done. There's things that we've given to. There's things that we've shared with others that when we get done giving, we're like, you know what? That felt good. But money can also bring out the ugliness of us. It can bring out the greediness and the selfishness of us if we're not careful. 
Many of you probably have had firsthand experience of maybe a family or a situation where money was involved and all of a sudden you saw everyone's true colors come out. And you saw the greediness that can occur when money is on the table. And kind of like a hockey fight, man, the gloves are off and people start fighting. Well, in our passage this morning, we had the luxury of seeing the upside of money. We have the, see the upside of the generosity that can occur when we say, Lord, none of this is mine to begin with. It all is yours. The roof over my head, the job that I have, the money in my pocket, all of these things, Lord, you brought it to pass, and there's an upside to being generous with our money. But we're going to also see the flip side of that this morning, of what happens when we allow money to control us. And all of a sudden, we become greedy and deceitful if we're not careful. We'll follow along in, in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32 to 37. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but that they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as, there, as, for as, many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought, they brought the proceeds of the, the proceeds uh, to, let me start again, verse 34. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceed of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Uh, it's easy to just read something or try to read something, and uh, you just skim over it. Uh, but there are some wonderful things here. And the first thing that we see here is we see the unity of the body of believers here. We see that all of these believers are coming together and they are working in tandem with each other. And it tells us that they had one heart and one soul. The word is one accord. It's the Greek word, not that I'm trying to impress you, but it's the Greek word homothumos, which means one accord or harmonious. It would be the picture of an orchestra. And every single um, instrument is on pitch, on tune, and there is great harmony. Everyone is working together for the same purpose and the same goal. Interesting enough, the early church had one heart, one soul. They breathed the same air. They loved the same things. They had the same priorities and motives together as a body of believers. And the unity that they displayed here, I believe, was an evidence of the Holy Spirit active in their lives during this time. Because of their unity, they regarded people more important than things. Time out. Take an inventory today. Do you see people as being more important than things? Many of us would say, well, yeah, sure, I see people being more important than things. And yet we allow those things to consume us and rule us. Do you see people 
more important than things. They kind of had the mentality here of what is mine is yours and what is yours is mine. And we share all things in common. It tells us that in this passage that they shared all things in common. What you had is mine. What you have is mine. What I have is yours. That just is a great evidence and assurance of generosity. This doesn't mean that they sold all their property at once or all their homes at once. But as someone had a need, they would relinquish that for the betterment of the entire body. It'd be like somebody here saying, you know what, I'm going to sell our house, so I'm going to sell a piece of land, and I'm just going to give that land to anyone who has need in the body of Christ. And we're going to be discerning in how we do that. Well, they were discerning in how they did that. And the question that I want to ask is in verse 33. And in verse 33 is, what motivated them to be so generous? I think what motivated them to be so generous is everyone was sharing about the wonderful testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ and what Christ had done in their life due to the resurrection of Christ. What about you? How much does the resurrection of Jesus Christ move you to be different? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christ going and conquering sin and death so that we can have eternal life should move us to live differently in this world. That I have life eternal on the other side of the tombstone. And that what I do here is a testimony. It's a testimony of my life in Christ. We just sang, I'm alive in you. Are we really? And if we're alive in him, then part of that will be sharing the great testimony of what Jesus Christ has done in our life. The testimony of a changed, transformed life because of his resurrection. It tells us that they were, as, as anyone was in need, they sold their land or their house for the unity of the believers. And it appears that after they did that, what did they do with those funds? They placed them at the feet of the apostles. So the apostles would distribute it fairly and with great discernment. What would it look like this morning if we brought up the, the staff and the elders and they sat here and we had a time of offering and every single one of you would bring your offering up here? Would that make you feel a little uncomfortable? Okay. You're like, oh man, I've got to find something. Do I have any change here? And we would come up with the purpose of putting it at the apostles' feet, I believe, was for accountability. That we're doing this to show the entire body that we love the Lord and we want to honor him and we want to meet the needs of those around us. It was an accountability for the body of believers. It was accountability in regards to character. But I believe it was also an accountability for the leaders. That the leaders are responsible to be able to distribute those funds and be good stewards of God's word. So if you were to come up and the pastors and the elders were up here and you were to lay your tithe and your offering before them, do you trust? Do you trust the leadership enough that they will, with great discernment, distribute God's money in a way that will benefit this body and beyond? I think that's a great principle for us to have too, that as leaders in the church, we're responsible in discerning what is a need and what may not be a need at that time. And so we see here 
that there was not a needy person among them. Verse 34. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed as each had need. And then we see an example. We see the body of Christ, but now we see an individual that actually lived that out and his name is Barnabas in verses 36 and 37. Barnabas is often called the son of what? Tell me. Encouragement. Everybody here enjoy encouragement? Raise your hand. Uh, we love when people encourage us. They spur us on. They give us hope. And so here is an example of an individual that not only in his words but in his actions was an encouragement to the entire body. Do you know of somebody that, uh, uh, here at Mission View that by how they lived and what they say and what they do, they're an encouragement to the entire body. That is what Barnabas did. He sold also a piece of land and placed it at the apostles' feet. He was generous. Say it with me. Generous. He was what? He was generous. Remember the word generous in our summer series here. The word generous means palms up. I'm not withholding anything. I'm not expecting anything in return. I have no skin in the game. Not that that's the definition. But it's a freely giving and freely sharing of my time, of my talents, and of my treasures. Are we doing that? Uh, that we would be that salt and light to each other and that salt and light to a dark world. That is the word generous. Do you know of anyone like Barnabas? Do you know of anybody that when you're around them, you're like, man, they're an encouragement. They spur me on. I'm, I'm encouraged by their ministry. I'm encouraged by what they do. I'm encouraged by what they say, how they live. Do you know of somebody like that? within the body of Christ. Galatians 6.10 tells us this, as we have the opportunity to do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We have several Barnabases in our church. Uh, one of his name is Tim. You will find Tim pretty much throughout the week underneath a car. He uh, loves working on cars, uh, he is a policeman, but in his time off, he uh, is underneath cars and he ministers to the widows of our church who are on a single fixed income and don't have a lot of money. And so he will say, bring your car to my house and you'll see him underneath that car and he will be changing brake pads and changing fluids and changing whatever else you do under a car. Uh, he's doing it. And people have heard about Tim in our ministry. And they're careful not to abuse him. They're careful not to abuse what God is doing in his life. And so a widow will say, listen, I, my, my brakes are just squealing like crazy. He'll say, why don't you come? And he's underneath that car and he's ministering to them. He is an encouragement, not just to the widows, but to our entire body of what he does. Would someone look at your life and to say, now there, there's somebody that is generous. There's somebody that's an encouragement in their words, but encouragement in what they do. Would someone name you this morning? We see Barnabas as that example. That is the upside of generosity. 
That is the upside. When the body of Christ is working together, one heart and one spirit, uh, uh, bragging on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, placing the money at the apostles' feet because they believe in their, they, they believe and trust their character, they believe it's going to be distributed fairly. That's when everything is clicking and everything is good. But now we flip. The flip side is the need for greed. And there is the need for greed for some people. And we see it's not just a story, a made-up story. This is an actual account of two people in the church during that time that abused what was going on and did not display a heart of generosity but displayed a heart of greed. And their names are Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. We're going to read first verses 1 to 6. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. That's a good thing. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought, and, and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. There's a problem. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Well, it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young man rose, wrapped him up, and carried him out and buried him. That's not a very uplifting passage, is it? But we do see that God will make sure that things are done right in the body of Christ and not allow it to be compromised. And what we have here is it appears that after Ananias and Sapphira saw, a great, saw this great generosity that Barnabas had, they also wanted that same kind of respect that the people gave Barnabas. The problem is that they desired the praise of man more than exalting the glory of God. I believe that Barnabas did what he did for the glory of God. No strings attached. But Ananias and Sapphira, wanting that same respect, were doing it for the applause and the affirmation of people. That's how you can tell whether you truly are generous or not. Are you expecting... You are phenomenal. Wow. It doesn't matter what people think or how people clap or if they affirm, I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for the Lord. Big reason. Big difference. They held back or withheld parts of the proceeds, only giving a portion of the church. They were deceptive. Now, this husband and wife, they are in cahoots with each other. And they both wanted the image of great generosity without actually being remarkably generous. And it appears that God has given Peter this supernatural ability of knowledge to know what's going on and to call them out. Have you ever been called out by something? Have you ever been called out by somebody? You think, I'll keep it to myself. No one will know. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, somebody calls you on the carpet and you're like, how in the world did you know that? I believe God gave Peter 
a supernatural ability to know what was going on so that the bride of Christ would not be blemished. Because of Ananias' desire for fortune and fame, he ultimately ended up lying not to man. But who did he lie to? He lied to God. Ultimately, that's who we're accountable to. We see that in verse 4. His crime was not in withholding the money, but in deceptively implying that he gave it all. See, when he had this piece of property, it was his to begin with. All of it belonged to him. So the problem wasn't so much that he sold it. The problem was he deceptively said, hey, this is what the property was, was worth, and it wasn't. He withheld and took some of it for himself. Greed and pride often work hand in hand. A word of warning here for us and Mission View. Um, we can create or imply that we have the gift of generosity when in reality we don't. We can imply and create this persona that we are generous when in reality we are not. We can imply and, and we can uh, uh, create uh, a, a, a desire to say, listen, I am spiritual, when in reality we are not. And we can create or exaggerate our spiritual accomplishments to appear something that we are not. Be careful. As a church, let's brag on the Lord. Let's brag on what he's done. Uh, let's look at others and thank the Lord for them, but not exalt them too high, but exalt the Lord and know that the Lord has brought us together. Uh, Satan loves when we have the image of spirituality without the reality of spiritual life. From this man over here all the way to this lady over here, if I were to ask you, are you spiritual? Many of us would say, well, yes, yes, I, I'm spiritual. Let's make sure that our spiritual life points in the direction of Christ. And if it does, everyone else will see that and they'll be encouraged by it. Well, the death of Ananias was not the act of Peter, it was the act of God. And many say it was possibly a heart attack. That when he was confronted on this, his blood pressure skyrocketed and he automatically had a heart attack right there and dropped to the ground. I mean, have you ever had somebody say, one day when you're in heaven, if you could, be, if you could go back to one place in Scripture where you could just observe what's going on as an innocent bystander, how many of you would want to be a part of this? How many of you would say, oh, yeah, I would love to see Ananias just drop dead? I don't think any of us would say that. We would probably pick something other than that. And yet this is something that happened, and when he was confronted and his sin was exposed, he dropped. He dropped, and he died. Fell down and breathed his last. The shock of being exposed was too much for Ananias. And, and someone has said, for many Christians who compromise, their greatest fear is not in the sin that they're doing. Their greatest fear is the thought of being caught. Our greatest fear when we compromise God's word is not the sin that we're doing, but it's the fear of being caught. And Ananias was caught. You never see Ananias repent. 
You never see him say, yes, this is what I did. I am so sorry. I, I should have known better. But he tried to run it out. And he was caught. Well, look at verses 7 to 10. After an interval of about three hours, his wife comes in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young man came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. So here comes Sapphira. It's been a good day. And she walks in not knowing that her husband has died and that she will now be confronted on the same thing. And she is questioned. She has had a part in this as well. She is called to account for action. She is a knowing and willing participant of this blatant cover-up. And God's judgment on her is just as just and just as righteous as his judgment of Ananias. Look at verse 11, though. Verse 11 should stand out to us. That in the midst of this story, we say, well, so what? What does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with generosity? Well, let's tackle the first one. What does this have to do with me? In verse 11, something came upon the entire body. And what was that? Fear. Fear. I think it was a healthy fear. A fear that swept across the company of believers. I believe it was a healthy fear that caused every single one within that body of believers to take a personal inventory of their life. To say, am I withholding? Am I withholding something from the Lord that should be given freely? Have I been deceptive? Am I greedy? And ask ourselves those questions. This healthy fear of the Lord, I believe, is a vivid reminder that God will not allow his church to be compromised and his character to be compromised. The entire church was filled with fear. How many of those sitting there that day or standing there that day thought, man, I better make sure that my life's in order because the fear of the Lord is great. And so the church, in a healthy way, drew closer together because they saw a bad example, and yet they also saw a, saw a good example in Barnabas. Well, I want to give you a couple of the, the motivations for giving here, four acknowledgments, and, and I would ask that you would truly consider these as we walk through them, that you would say, I want to acknowledge this today, and as I acknowledge these things today, I want my life to be a life of generosity. You're going to hear a lot of messages you're going to hear a lot of God's word here at Mission View. But there is something that changes our heart when we decide to be generous. And our whole life changes. I am the happiest when I'm closest to the Lord. And I'm the most miserable when I'm furthest away. And generosity has a way of moving me closer to the Lord and closer to you, the body of Christ.
Let's look at this first one. Doing the Lord's work and giving to the Lord's work should be of higher value than the praise of man. Honesty at Mission View this morning, how many of you enjoy the praise of man? Just go ahead. Come on. Uh, there's a few of you. You know what I want to say. The rest of you are what? Liars. There are times we love the praise of man. We, we love that. I mean, you're in a workplace, you've done a project, you've been there for a couple weeks, <laughs> and, and you love to hear the praise of man. You are incredible. There's nobody like you. You know, you've got a relationship, you and your spouse. My, my wife and I just celebrated our 28th wedding anniversary yesterday. And uh, yeah, and it's great. It's great. And uh, last night, uh, this is a side note, so I'll stand over here. Uh, uh, my wife and I last night opened up our, our wedding album. And Steve was in my wedding. And I sat there and I looked and I saw Steve. He was so young then. <laughs> Over 30 years being friends. And there's times when God stirs my heart about Steve. And I wasn't even expecting it. I turned that page and there I am standing next to him. 28 years ago. Who would have ever thought? And we see we see how God does work even in times when we may not understand it. Coming to the point in our lives where we say doing the Lord's work and giving to the Lord's work should be of higher value than the praise of man. We are here more than just to recreate, procreate, do deals and die. We are here for God's purpose, God's great pleasure. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he's prepared in advance for us to do. Did you, hear, did you hear that? He's preparing things in advance for us to do. But I believe we can miss that. We can miss those opportunities when we are selfish and filled with greed and our own agenda. His purpose becomes our purpose. Would you acknowledge that today? That the praise of God, living for God, doing God's work, is greater than the praise of man. I believe when you, when you acknowledge that, the Lord will put that to the test and you'll be able to see whether that is true or not, especially when it comes to generosity. Here's another one. All that we have belongs to God. Would you acknowledge that this morning? The book of Haggai would take you a week to find it, but the book of Haggai, uh, a minor prophet, says the gold is his, the silver is his, it's all his. Everything that I have is here, so why am I so stingy with what is ultimately his? All that I have belongs to God. Number three, love for God and his people must be greater than the love of the things of this world. Would you acknowledge that today? Would you realize the fact that, you know what? There's going to come a day for all of us when we're going to be on our deathbed. And during that time, we're not going to ask for one more hour of work. We're not going to ask how our stock portfolio is, even if we have one or don't have one. We're not going to ask, you know, how our 401k is doing. You know what we're going to ask for when we're, when we're laying in our deathbed? We're going to ask for those that love us the most to be right there. That we can speak and love and care for each other in those closing moments. We're not going to care about money. 
We're not going to care about greediness. We're going to care about people. So if that's going to happen on our deathbed, let's start that now. That we value people. Love for God and his people must be greater than the love of the things of this world. And for our living and giving is a testimony to the world that is watching of God's generosity overflowing into our lives. People are watching. People are really watching whether or not we are going to live out what we preach and live out what we, what we hear. Somewhere I made a sheriff's day at Sheets by just grabbing that made-to-order ticket and paying for it. I walked out, I drove to the church, and I thought, I'm really glad I did that. Not because of this series, but I'm just really glad I did that. My wife and I were at Swenson's not too long ago, and we saw a Akron police car that had pulled in, and my wife said, hey, um, we should take care of that policeman's order today. So one of the guys ran over, and we said, listen, we want to take care of that policeman's order. Okay. And they're like, really? We said, yes, really. He said, okay. So we took care of it. And when the guy came over to get the policeman's tray, you could see the policeman trying to get his wallet out. And you saw this. And he pointed to us, which I didn't want him to do that. He pointed as if to say, that's the criminal. I mean, that's the, that, that's the guy that took care of it. And, and so all of a sudden he comes out, his cruiser's right in front of our car. And he gets out and he goes, thank you, thank you, thank you. He said, I've had a terrible day, a terrible day. And he said, you just made it into a better day. Thank you so much. And I, and I get all choked up. I get all choked up. Well, thank you for your service. You know, appreciate you so much. You know, And just simple things like that is a blessing to us and it's a blessing to someone else. Our living and giving as a testimony to a world that is watching of God's generosity overflowing into our lives. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me, if you would. Uh, we're going to read a passage together out of 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19. Paul writes in the closing of this letter to Timothy about the importance of investing our lives in those things that matter. I'm going to have you read this with me in a second, but I want to just walk through this because this is a command that he gives. He's commanding not only Timothy, he's commanding the church. He's commanding believers in Christ. And what is he commanding? Those who are rich. How many of you are rich in the United States compared to the rest of the world? We are all rich. All of us are rich. So there's a command. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Did you notice that? Our hope is in God. He will provide. He is going to bring more of a smile to your face than a lot of the stuff in this world. And then he says this, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. As a body of believers, mission view, let's, uh, let's read this together. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God 
who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Her name is Corey Tenboom. She is a Holocaust survivor. She has gone home to be with the Lord. She is the author of The Hiding Place. Corey Tenboom at a conference said this, we tend to hold on tightly to our possessions and yet loosely to the Lord. She said, oh, my friends, true living is holding loosely to our possessions and tightly to the Lord. That's what the Lord desires for us who are in Christ Jesus. Just as God has been generous by giving us his son and sending a son, this is the opportunity that we have to be generous in return. So as a gift to you as a church, uh, we have provided these for every family. It is a great book called The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. They are at the welcome desk or the welcome center over here, uh, one per family. We would encourage you to pick it up. And here's my prayer and our prayer, that we would find ourselves saying, Lord, am I laying up treasures on this earth? Or am I laying up treasures in heaven? And this is an excellent book that it's not that thick of a book, so those are the kind I like. And just a great way of being able to say, Lord, make me a generous person. May I show generosity even this week. I don't want you to leave here today without in your mind saying between now and next Sunday, I'm going to show generosity to someone. Through my words, through my actions, through my attitude. And I'm going to use my time, my talent, and my treasures in a way that shows how generous God has been with me. That is the joy of living for Jesus Christ. We hope you would enjoy this book, but more importantly, we hope that you will enjoy this book. And so make sure that as a family you grab one of them out at the uh, welcome desk, and we're grateful that you are here. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you again for the privilege of being able to see how gracious, generous you have been to us. Lord, may it be a great challenge for us today as we look at the early church and see that they had all things in common, they shared all things in common, and they boasted about the resurrection of Christ, and they laid their property and their, their tithes and their, and their offerings and their money before the apostles because they trusted their character. And it was discernly spread out with great discernment. Lord, we pray today that we would avoid the Ananias and Sapphira syndrome, that we would not let greed get in the way of our lives. But Lord, we would be palms up, open-handed, freely giving, freely sharing, not expecting anything in return because of your great name. A genuine heart is the fullest expression of genuine love. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for loving your church. Thank you for each other. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.